Lisa Clinical Wizard is her handle on Twitter. She is a clinical research specialist turned war journalist, a media influencer, blogger, and proud Ukrainian. Lisa is a volunteer helping Ukrainian defenders on the front and also is a member of the Vatnik bashing digital collective NAFO. Lisa, welcome to the channel. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan, for this honor and for inviting me to the interview. Um, thank you for all your kind words. I'm happy to answer all your questions. Let's go. Well, let's go. And I am going to ask you a little bit more about your professional background, because that was a, a very sort of short intro and doesn't cover all of your skills and experience. You've been on quite a journey, haven't you, from, from clinical researcher to becoming war journalist. What is your personal journey from the full-scale war through to the present? It's a really good question. Thank you. Uh, in January uh, 2022, I decided to change my life. Uh, to quit my job in clinical research and to uh, do more blogging about clinical research in English and run my own YouTube channel and also write a lot about clinical research on Instagram. I was not going to develop my Twitter to work on it at all <laughs> before the full-scale version. Uh, and I, this is how I was going to earn money because clinical research is such an industry which uh, mm, where you have very high workload. You work a day and night and on weekends and all the evenings you write your reports. Also, you travel a lot. Every week you travel to some hospital in Ukraine. I was a clinical monitor. It's like internal auditor uh, who goes and checks hospitals. And uh, we read a lot of documentation, medical charts, inpatient, outpatient ones. And we make sure that the uh, clinical trial or, or study goes according to the protocol to a good clinical practice, international standard, and that the safety, well-being of the patients are uh, being followed and also data integrity. And this is a very complex process. So we do a lot of stuff on site at the hospital. Then we go back home and we write report. And, the, uh, and in the meantime, we extinguish many small and big fires because something always happens, like temperature deviation in the fridge where the drug is being stored. And it's just one example of many other fires which might um, appear. And uh, that was so exhausting. And uh, I liked that work very much. But I just found myself in a state uh, of burnout and also depression. And depression started before my because of my family reasons. And I just decided to change everything. I got divorced. I quit my job. And I decided to start a new life uh, in January 2022. And in one month, the full-scale version began. And I realized that I, I need to put aside all my dreams about blogging, uh, clinical research blogging, uh, and do everything I can for the victory and for my country. Volunteer, and even I stopped thinking about earning money, and I started living on my savings. I, I just forgot about everything, my dreams, my ambitions, just war, war, war. And this is how I joined the Territorial Defense Forces as a press officer. They just invited me. And uh, at that time, they nobody cared whether you have uh, journalistic education or degree. They just knew that uh, I do blogging. I have good English. I studied abroad. And it was more than enough for the people who invited me. It was really great. Uh, journalism uh, seemed much easier, turned out to be much easier than clinical research. And taking and giving interviews and editing videos 
and making great content about my country uh, turned out to be a very easy thing to me. So this is how I got into war journalism when I got accreditation quite early um, and I started covering uh, atrocities which Russian so-called army was doing in Kyiv region. Destructions, war crimes, uh, everything, human stories, military stories, uh, civilian, everything and everyone. I just wanted to shout out loud to the world about our war that guys to the West, come on, we're being killed here. They literally kill us, beautiful, peaceful nation, which did not invade anyone, did not attack any country. We were living our beautiful, peaceful. Yeah, we had war in the east, but uh, ov overall in Ukraine we had a beautiful and peaceful life at that moment. But unfortunately, because we ignored that war in the east and the whole world ignored, this is what happened. The full-scale invasion came to our country. And of course, some people. Many people didn't want to believe the war was going to happen. I, I suspect that many people in the government didn't want to believe it as well. Um, but for those who were unfortunately watching um, Putin's speeches uh, and for those who read his ridiculous fake historical document, it mm. had horrible echoes of uh, Mein Kampf and, you know, the stuff yeah. Uh, that that uh, led up to the uh, full-scale war in the Second World War. Why is it, do you think, that, you know, dictators like Putin, they tell us what they're going to do, and then unfortunately they do it, unlike many elected democratic politicians who who make promises which then they uh, they try to ignore. You know, like, like a classic Bond villain, he said what he was going to do and he did it. What was your position here? Did you think the full-scale war was coming or was it a an incredible shock to you it was not unfortunately or unfortunately i was prepared and i always perceived russia and russians as enemies honestly i guess uh, since my school uh, age uh, at the for fifth form sixth form i i was taught by my uh, history teacher that russians are evil and I'm very grateful that he said this to us in Crimea, because nine years of my school passed in Crimea. And he said they're evil. They always wanted to destroy us as a nation, our culture. Um, so I was prepared. And uh, there were rumors about war starting from summer 2021. Uh, in summer 2021, I did not believe. I was in denial, like many other people. But closer to December, I started started feeling some that something serious is going on. I was reading news. And in January, in February, I found myself reading news before sleep every evening in bed. And I, I, I was shaking. I, I was getting worse and worse in terms of um, uh, emotional state. And I'm like, something is going on. Something is going on. At some point internally, I realized that this is serious and uh, war is going to happen. We did not know at which scale, uh, where will they go, where, uh, where the Russian troops will invade, which regions of Ukraine, uh, which I just realized that this is going to happen. And two weeks before the full-scale invasion, I had, I asked myself, who am I, who will I be in this war? What will be my role? And whether I will uh, move out or stay in Ukraine. And it, it did not take me long to decide. Uh, I thought for a second, I thought, should I go to Poland and watch everything at distance? No, I should not. I have my uh, life here in Kyiv. It's my beautiful city, my 
uh, my hometown, my apartment. Uh, at that time, I didn't have a dog. In, even though I was divorced and I was uh, alone in my apartment, but I felt that there's no way. How can I live in my, my country and my people? And that was a very conscious decision to stay. Last weeks at work, before quitting uh, work, because it was uh, planned, when I was uh, handing over all my responsibilities and all my hospitals to other people, I I was telling everyone, war is going to happen. Enjoy your last peaceful days. Uh, maybe make some arrangements. Think of the war. Who will you be? And I also wanted my dream, but I guess it comes from movies. I wanted to be a combat medic and a nurse at some uh, military hospital. And I imagine that this war will be like something like Second World War that there will be front and rear, and in the rear will be able to, to treat soldiers calmly, peacefully, and it will not be bombed. It's like hospitals will not be bombed, <laughs> not with Russians. Uh, and we had no idea what the modern war is like, like now with missiles and drones and everything. So I decided to stay and many people were moving. And I was shocked. The biggest shock to me was that how many people were moving. And, but now I understand that everyone has the right to react Every nervous system is different. Uh, every person reacts differently to stress and uh, some people just cannot bear it. It's so scary to them. It's, it's just, I realize that I'm so bold and fearless, but not everyone is like me. Uh, so yes, I stayed and I was looking for many ways to volunteer. I went to trainings uh, to first aid for civilians in hostile environment, under attack in the city, uh, in war. Uh, I also encouraged many other people to go and get trained and also basic training with uh, uh, guns, uh, shooting and stuff. Uh, I attended it from Azov Battalion, I guess they were organizing a lot of different trainings. So I was well trained and that's why I guess uh, I managed to save two lives at Kiev TV Tower when we got under the missile attack. Um, so yes, this is it. I chose my country and I've never regretted it. I've now spoken to many dozens of Ukrainians, and I think like many people who support Ukraine, we did not have a strong impression of, of what Ukrainian identity is, personality, character, and how it differed uh, really from, from Russia. And now, of course, many of us have a, a much clearer idea. And many Ukrainians have told me that in peacetime, when there's less pressure, Ukrainians have a tendency to be dare I say, a little disunited, you know, always debating, mm -hmm. arguing, a little bit stubborn, and then always, you know, there's the mm -hmm. joke about you put sort of three Ukrainians in a room and lock them away for a while, and, and they'll form four political parties at the end of it. Um, but <laughs> what people have also said is the character under pressure, like a diamond, sort of really coalesces, and people start cooperating. It sounds like your story is similar to that. Did you, in fact, find it psychologically easier once the war had started and you knew you had to do something than that period of, of sort of waiting and anticipating but not knowing when it was going to happen? Mm -hmm. um, let me think. Yes, you were right about Ukrainians. It's a national feature to fight internally. But we're like a big, big family where members love each other, but they disagree many points and uh, they fight internally but when there is uh, some enemy coming from outside we stand uh, still we stand strong and we would kill for each other uh, this is the thing uh, very interesting very hard to explain you just need to be 
part of the society to understand and, and to feel it uh, with your own body. I was uh, very surprised how even I was surprised how united we got because we, but this feature to me, you know, it's a sign of our democracy that everyone has a right to say what he, she wants and to be what he, she wants and uh, just to express themselves the way we want. And we are so free, we can go to Central Square and say, I don't like Zelensky, he's a bad president and he will not be arrested if you just say, uh, if you will not attack someone, you know, or, or distract something, they will not call the police. They might think that, well, in every country, you're free to say whatever we want. And that's why we fight so much because we have different opinions and we all are different. But gosh, I could not have imagined that we uh, will get so united that people who are not afraid of uh, shellings, they will stay here and they will volunteer like crazy day and night without sleep. Uh, and they would give uh, last shirt, last boots, whatever last they have, last food to other people who are going to join army, who were already serving at territorial defense forces. They would just give their last things. Um, it was really hard to be in the suspense and not to know what, what's going to happen. But I just realized that it will not get better if I move out, if I flee the country, if I move to some safer place, that I will feel even worse. And also, we are, most of Ukrainians are crazy about property. And this is also a national feature. I have been working so hard for 10 years of my life to earn money to buy my apartment, to have my box, my own beautiful box place to live in. And I'm like, I'm not giving this beauty to Russians. They need to kill me first to take my flat. This is the attitude. So I bought big axe, maybe, probably you've seen that axe video. And Ron Sweeney calls me axe lady since then, when he saw that video, it became viral. I, I was singing Ukrainian song, and holding this axe and saying, um, there are rumors that orcs will enter our city, beautiful city, Kiev, and they will be walking down our streets. But if they enter, it won't be for long. We'll make a fire, we'll uh, burn them and make nice barbecue. Glory, and then I say glory to Ukraine, glory to Ukrainian armed forces. And thank God they didn't enter, but unfortunately, uh, people from Bucha, Irpin, Hostomel, and all the cities in Kiev outskirts uh, paid very high price. They just kind of sacrificed their lives for us to, to be alive and safe, and we'll never forgive uh, Russians that and we'll never forget that. And of course, in your professional capacity, your new professional capacity, uh, you have traveled to some of these regions. You have seen at first hand the impact of missile strikes. You have seen uh, the aftermath of the genocidal approach of the Russian army. Um, I know it's difficult to talk about, but could you describe some of those impressions uh, you've got from, from visiting these areas and being close to the front lines? Um, I would like to know what were my impressions. How did I react first when I saw uh, the witches? Yeah, your, your experiences, uh, you know, personal anecdotes, impressions, stories, uh, anything that gives people a you know a, a real idea of of, of how it uh, how it was. Our psychic has very interesting quality to defend itself, no matter whatever, in different circumstances, under pressure in wartime, in the darkest times, our psychic uh, defends itself in order not to be destroyed. So this happened to my psychic. Uh, it just, I got in such a kind of frozen mode, which says, I don't care, I'll not cry. 
uh, I will not take it close to my heart. I'll become a soldier, strong one, uh, and I'll fight. And if needed, I will kill Russian soldiers to prevent them from killing our civilians. Uh, this was my attitude, and I guess it has not changed <laughs> since then. I'm still the same, and I'm always ready to fight. Mm. Uh, when we first visited Bucha, we saw that bodies of civilians. We uh, reported about some of them. We also investigated the story of one family of Alexander Fedorov. Uh, he was a builder from uh, Berdichev, Zhitomirska Oblast, and he went there just to work to Bucha, and he had his uh, employer uh, in Bucha. And if, uh, we found him dead, unfortunately, and then he was taken by uh, the... Uh, uh, by medics, uh, by someone to the uh, mortuary, and uh, his mom lost uh, lost the track and lost the body, and uh, we called his mom in a couple of days, and she says, I want to bury him, but I cannot find him. So we helped her find, it was, together with John Sweeney, we uh, investigated this case, and also interviewed uh, Alexander Fedorov's mom. It was very painful, but I just I just could not cry. I saw his dead body. I saw all the, he was shot on his uh, forehead, just like this, because he went out of the house to find some water. He and another guy, they were hiding in the basement from Russian army and they became very thirsty and just went upstairs to find water and Russian soldiers just killed them for fun, for nothing. I, I don't even think that uh, these two guys resisted somehow or attacked uh, Russian soldiers. They just got out of the house. And there are so many painful stories like this. Um, when I saw all these atrocities, I just thought that this cannot be forgiven. These are all war crimes. And they are against the rules of war, Geneva Convention. They're against any, they are against humanity, against anything, all the values that we've been building for so many years after the Second World War the UN, uh, the European Union, and many other organizations, we decided that we don't want to fight. We don't want to have big war. We want to develop, grow as countries. We want to cooperate. We want to trade different things between each other. We want to travel and have normal, good quality, peaceful life, right? This is what most of the countries of, of the Europe decided for themselves and also the US, that no more big wars. But seems like Russia uh, has... So these imperialistic ambitions and just doesn't get it. Russia always wants to be in a state of war because this is their culture, attitude, society. They bring up children this way uh, and they teach them how to kill and how to die. It's a big honor to die uh, in war. Uh, not, not like with us. With us, we value life, beauty, uh, peace, family, have a house and, and to develop ourselves. Uh, my experience uh, with shelling, again, getting back to frontline and uh, covering all these uh, dangerous areas. Um, I was just working, you know. I, I just was <laughs> so strong and bold that I did not feel that danger. I was very careful. I was taking good care of my colleagues, journalists. I was watching out for them. I'm that person who sees global picture. And if there is some danger, I would instruct people to go to the shelter, to go somewhere, to wear the helmets. And I was taking all the safety measures. But at the same time, I knew that if it will not be us who will cover this atrocities, who else? And I guess this uh, gifted with our case on 1st of March in very early days of war, 
taught me that war is very serious, but also taught me that it's not time to die for me right now because I remained intact. Uh, the shrapnel was falling uh, all around me, exploding in front of my face, like five centimeters from my face and nothing happened to me. I was lying down, covering my head with my mouth open and nothing happened to me. But my ex-husband with whom we were volunteering together got wounded and I saved his life and also life of another driver who was driving towards our car. Uh, and I just felt that there is something special about my guardian angel. He is very strong and he is going to protect me uh, from, from death right now. And what do we say to the face of death? Not today. So I took very active position and it helped me throughout all these months of the war uh, not to give up, not to get tired of this war, to keep volunteering and uh, to do what I can, where I can, where I am right now. Well, let's turn to volunteering because... What we've seen, I mean, civil society was already robust and it was partly the strength of emerging civil society that um, really allowed Maidan to be successful. You know, the huge mobilization of people, um, cooking food, helping, doing stuff, supporting each other for the months long protest in the winter months. Um, whereas, of course, propaganda makes out that it was all done by the CIA. Uh I think the CIA would love to have that much power and clearly don't, and that ability to organise many tens tens of thousands of people. Um, were you uh, involved there? Was Maidan, as for so many other people, uh, a sort of formative experience? And how do you feel 10 years on? Because, of course, it's the anniversary of that incredible event this week. Uh, unfortunately, uh I didn't get a chance to be uh, part of uh, all the events of Maidan. I was 22 and I got enrolled into the University of Barcelona and also University of Faro Algarve, Portugal. And I won, uh, Maidan happened in autumn and uh, I won the Erasmus Mundus scholarship from the European Commission. I learned about it uh, in the spring uh, 2013. In summer, I was already preparing, was getting visa and stuff and was packing to to go abroad to study my master's, two years of master's. I won scholarship from the European Commission. I was so happy, so excited to pursue my career. And in, in the end of September 2013, I moved to Barcelona. And when the revolution began, I was in Barcelona studying. And it was such a shame I could not sleep. I was uh, constantly in touch with my family, which was in Crimea at that moment, my mom and granny. Uh, and I wanted to go to Kiev and to take active part in it, especially as my uh, colleagues, students from Kiev Mohila Academy, where I studied, uh, where I got my bachelor's degree. They were all participated, uh, participating and they also, uh, they got poisoned with this gas by uh, Berkut. And, you know, the, these guards hired by Yanukovych who were protecting Yanukovych and his regime. And they were also beaten by this Berkut uh, unit. Um, it, it was so painful. I was crying all the time that I cannot go back. But the condition of my program was that if I quit program now or take any any holiday, any vacation from it, any sabbatical, nothing was possible. If I take it, I need to return all the money which I got from European Commission Scholarship for all the months which I studied. And I lose this opportunity to finish and to get master's degree. So there was a lot at the stake. And the same happened when annexation of 
Crimea began in spring. I was still studying in Barcelona and I just could watch uh, what's going on at distance, read on news and shout out loud online only. Um, this was a huge shame, but what I think maybe my, uh, my psychic was not ready for that at the age of 22. And maybe if I saw people dying right at Independence Square, a lot, a lot of blood, a lot of uh, a lot of crimes happening against peaceful civilians, protesters. Maybe I would lose face at some point. Maybe I would break. Which, and it did not happen because I did not see it for real. I just saw it on news. And I saw how strong my nation is, uh, how strong is our resistance and our will uh, to, to be free from any uh, dictatorship, from any regime which is not democratic. Mm, did it so maybe? I, I mean, maybe that not being the country for that maybe that influenced you to stay uh in the full-scale uh invasion yeah yeah yeah, yeah. because um, i knew i already had this values same as maidan values and this uh, values of all the free people of ukraine and i knew what what's waiting for me if i stay that i might die i might get injured and at the age of 31 32 i was ready to do that because I saw this great example of people who died at the Independence Square for our freedom. And so yes, yeah. it also start studying abroad and working abroad in Poland, a third year of my stay abroad, uh, made me finally understand who I am, that I'm Ukrainian and my place is here, I belong here. And there are many more opportunities for me in my uh, home country than elsewhere, abroad in the EU, in the US, and I want to live here. So I came back in 2016 and abroad, uh, all the countries uh, over the seas all influenced me in, in such a way that I love Ukraine more. That That's very powerful. And your story seems to be reflected in many tens of thousands of individuals who are now volunteering. Some are volunteering for multiple organizations. Um, so could you describe this kind of renaissance of the volunteer society uh, in Ukraine? Uh, what are you involved in? What are your friends involved in? What are the important causes that people are contributing their time and, uh, and energy to? Mm -hmm. Great question. Thank you. Uh, you know, we have multiple, multiple charities. Uh, some, And we divide them into two big groups, uh, charities which support uh, military and buy them weapons, uh, equipment, uh, everything to win, and charities which support civilians. And also there is tactical medicine charities which also support both military and civilians because both of them get wounded all the time especially in, in certain regions of ukraine so what do i currently do i run my own startup ukraine connect it's civilian fixing for foreigners in kiev and uh, every month part of our income we donate to uh, some charity or to some person who is a volunteer and we it's a person trustworthy uh, we verified all the sources of, of income of that person uh, and would also do the reporting and we publish the amount of money and everything. Uh, currently, I support, uh, I publicly support a girl. Uh, her name is Kristina. Uh, she lives in Kramatorsk and she travels to the front line to stabilization points, to hospitals and buys uh, medical supplies like tourniquets, pelvic tour tourniquets, uh, 
seals, uh, bandages, everything that you can imagine that's needed for the first aid for wounded militaries. She buys that uh, with the money which uh, my uh, my followers donate and also other Ukrainians donate to her because she's got a Ukrainian bank account and PayPal. And I support her. I try, I try to post something every day. We both uh, report. She sends me screenshots of all the money incoming and then of her uh, purchases. Whatever she bought, she sends me invoices. And I want it to be as transparent as possible because... This is the only way I can trust a person. A person shows me numbers. So I support this girl and I decided to support her because um, this area is uh, not covered enough. Area of simple volunteering with medical staff and supplies. Big organizations, they got enough support and public coverage. And the, the following ones I trust, really trust. And I also send them my, my own money and the money of my startup. They are come back alive. I trust them 100%. Pritula Foundation, uh, Superhumans. Uh, this is really the Masha Yafrosinian's foundation. They just do different things. And I, I tend to send uh, most of my money and money of my business for the military equipment because this is important. If we don't support our soldiers, uh, our civilians will not be alive because everything is directly connected. If you save military lives, you save civilian lives. And every soldier is someone in his or her peaceful civilian life. And not everyone is trained military. And even if our militaries, they're our angels, they're our gods. And we respect them so much. We stop believing in God here in Ukraine. We only believe in our united forces of defense. Now we call them this way. Um, so, yes, and volunteering, big, big volunteering movement. Uh, I also didn't expect that this will happen. People will just quit their jobs and start volunteering and doing things for free, not only for weeks, but for months and for years, as we see now. And that people would buy uh, stuff and equipment with their own money, and they would give the last thing they have to our military just to win. This is something we discovered in our society and in our nation, and it was a surprise to us, and it's so, so beautiful. I don't want us to lose it in the nearest years and also after the victory during the rebuilding and recovery of our country. And that's absolutely fantastic. And uh, I've got interviews coming up also with foreign volunteers. And when I came over to do the event in Lviv, there were lots of uh, foreign volunteers from various countries, uh, UK, uh, Netherlands, and, and, and many others who were there. Um, but you also mentioned Superhumans. Superhumans is another extraordinary effort and really symbolizes, I think, the Ukrainian spirit of not just humanity and helping each other and treating each life as being precious. Um, it's also an incredible organizational effort as well. Um, I was lucky enough to be showed around the facility by Olga uh, Rudyenko, uh, who is the uh, is the director. Uh, oh, and, Olga Rudnyova. Uh, uh, sorry? Olga Rudnyova. Uh, yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. I'll uh, yes, so I was lucky enough to be shown around the facility by, uh, by Olga Rudnyova who is so full of passion and energy and obviously is, a, is an incredible expert at what she does. But that facility was built in less than a year to a world-class standard and is doing incredible work. Um, how important is it that you've got sort of institutions like that? And of course, um, Andres Nadoy, 
uh, has a, another institutional based in the Viv called Unbroken, also doing incredible work. How important is it that Ukrainians are investing in every single life and, and making every single life uh, important and worth the struggle? It is important and it is the priority number one because life in general in uh, values of, uh, I don't know, health, mentally healthy people and uh, societies which are democratic life is the number one priority. And it should be this way and stay this way no matter whatever. Uh, I am so happy that we have these foundations and we seem, they seem like uh, trustworthy ones. They are trustworthy because they report publicly on their websites and you can see in real time money incoming and money spent, which is great. With modern technologies, we can do this. Uh, I guess they will uh, remain after the victory. They will transform and they will change the set of the activities in order to support rebuilding and recovery of our soldiers uh, who will come back from the front line. And it will be a very complicated, long uh, process of their recovery, both mental and physical. Uh, I am so happy that, that these people who are in charge of these uh, charities, they, they decided to do it and they are making most of their potential, of their energy, of their money, of their experience and knowledge. And this is their choice. I am eternally grateful to all these people uh, because I do what I can at my level, at my scale. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have millions of followers <laughs> yet, uh, but I try to use all the resources I have to volunteer as well. And I'm so happy I support this girl in Kramatorsk in the next region. And when I started uh, this campaign with her, uh, with my foreign audience, 13 uh, southern followers on Twitter, foreign audience started sending her money for these tourniquets and she reports me with every single transaction and isn't this beautiful isn't this beautiful that i'm making difference and even with maybe it's small maybe the amounts are small for now but i'm just so happy that i can do and at the end of the day uh, when i ask myself before sleep what have i done for the victory today i have an answer and my consciousness is clear that uh, i've done I've done something, sometimes something small, sometimes something big, but I am, that just makes me happy and uh, shows me that, that my guardian angel saved me not in vain uh, on the and, 1st of March at Kiev TV Tower. And tourniquets, I mean, this is a very good point here because people might be thinking, well, how can I make a difference? What's it really going to do? Tourniquets is a, is a great example because they're, you know, they're not the cheapest item, but also they're not massively expensive. Um, but having a high quality tourniquet that is not going to fail under pressure um, mm -hmm. will literally save the life or dramatically improve the survival chances of a soldier at the front line. Um, so a small amount of money in this case makes an incredible difference. Um, mm -hmm. And that individual who survives rather than dies at the front because of that vital piece of equipment you know, after rehabilitation, they can go back and help fight or they can come and, and, and do stuff on the home front to help. Um, it's a cascade of benefits, isn't it, which doesn't cost a huge amount of money. And that means that foreigners can get involved and make a huge difference. So what's your advice there? I'm, I'd love to hear of you as a medical professional on the, you know, that 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 idea about tourniquets in particular. Um, but also, oops, don't know why that happened. My alarm went off, um, um, but also, um, uh, yeah, I'll let it. I'll let it that little bit out as well. Um, 
but also how can foreigners get involved? How can they contribute money and be assured that it is going directly to help people uh, on the front, for instance? Mm -hmm. Great question. Thank you. And I'm so happy that uh, you think that foreigners are ready to send money to the front. Uh, because, you know, in first months of the full-scale invasion, it it seemed to them that if I send money to the army, I'll sponsor murder, I'll sponsor killing. But it, it is not true. You'll sponsor civilian lives saved, uh, thousands, maybe millions of civilian lives saved. And it is great that this attitude has changed, or at least is ch dramatically changing now, that people see that how many Ukrainians died and sacrificed their lives, and that our soldiers are real <laughs> angels, and they are worth saving and uh, giving them the best we have. Uh, I have a post, uh, I guess I posted it on all my social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and it's called, I'm a foreigner, and I want to help Ukraine win. What can I do? I'll also share that with you. You can use it for the interview. And I had several uh, bullet points there. The first one, how can I help at distance from abroad? You can donate, and I list the long list of trustworthy charities of Ukraine, different ones, uh, supporting military and civilians. Uh, you can also shout out loud uh, and uh, about our war and counter uh, Russian propaganda every day on your social media. Be active, be supportive of Ukraine, express your attitude, your values openly. And this would help a lot because when, when Ukrainian says something against Russian propaganda, we are interested and people don't then trust us because we are also very furious right now. We are full of revenge. We we are very aggressive because this enemy is killing our children and women and, and raping us. Uh, but if, if a Westerner says something and says Russia is evil, Westerners tend to believe uh, him or her more. So this makes huge difference if uh, people from the West share something about our war every day. Uh, if they uh, counter propaganda, if they ref refute uh, Russian fakes, and just explain what's going on. Also, you can come here and volunteer. If you are scared of uh, shelling, if, if you just know that th this is your limit, you cannot be right at the front line, this is okay. You can volunteer in so many ways. Uh, at the kitchen, uh, you can uh, deliver stuff, you can drive, uh, you can do something uh, with medicine, something far from the front line, like assemble ambulances. You can take part in bringing ambulances as a convoy. This is what um, I have many Dutch NAFO fellows friends who organize these convoys, also with the Dutch charities, and they just bring uh, up to 10 uh, ambulances at, at a time to Ukraine. And then our Ukrainians who are soldiers or volunteers who travel close to the front line, they deliver uh, those ambulances to stabilization points in yellow zone, in red zone, sometimes all the zones are mixed. And also, of course, if you are willing to fight, if you are professional military, or if you just uh, feel that you are ready and you don't have this fear, you can join a foreign legion, you can join some Ukrainian unit. Many soldiers speak uh, English and they uh, would love to have a foreigner and uh, to, to teach him many Ukrainian things, many Ukrainian commands, uh, also weaponry, our uh, 
rules of war and everything. I know that by now I have many friends who are foreigners, but they serve uh, in Ukrainian units and they're happy. Some of them say that uh, those units are better than uh, foreign legion because I don't know, they feel uh, peaceful, calm. Uh, they, they like the atmosphere more. But again, it's very individual and we have wide choice. And also we have a lot of freedom for foreigners. I know that this three years contract with the Ukrainian armed forces, you can break it. If there is some reason, like you need to travel back home, something happened uh, with your family, you just can easily uh, leave Ukraine uh, like this, not like Ukrainian can. So I think there's so many ways to volunteer and it starts with you. You, you can do always something in your village, in your town, uh, from anywhere. You just need to go out the streets and, and say, I am, I am against killing Ukrainians, I'm against Russia's values. We need to stop this war, we need to, Russia is a terrorist country and doing uh, the crimes against humanity. This, this is something we start from and then you can do more and more and more. And of course, we will put links into the description of the video. My last question, of course, uh, is, uh, and I have to mention this, you are part of the NAFO uh, Vatnik bashing uh, collective. Um, how important is it that something like NAFO has, has uh, uh, you know, evolved through the war? Um, and of course, it's become quite an important fundraising vehicle as well. So you have the 69th Sniffing Brigade and you have, you know, various vehicles and causes that are supported. Um, how important is something like that, both materially, but also psychologically, to know that there are many tens of thousands of foreigners who are absolutely you know feel a unity with ukraine uh, and who are following uh, you know every uh, every news story and every detail uh, and, and also do something about it trying to tackle uh, russian bullshit and there is one small mistake in it i am not officially part of a nafo community i have many friends with whom i closely cooperate and we help each other we repost we retweet tweets of each other uh, and yes, many uh, NAFO fellows are the volunteers with whom I cooperate, and, and they are also clients of my business, Ukraine Connect. This is how it works. Uh, speaking of NAFO, I'm so grateful that there is such a community, and it uh, appeared kind of out of nowhere during the full-scale invasion just to counter Russian propaganda. And they uh, this community consists of uh, Westerners, who love Ukraine so much that they're willing to spend their free time, hours and hours of their free time on Twitter and other social media, uh, making fun of uh, Russian propaganda narratives, uh, of Russians, of Vatniks, of separatists, uh, collaborants. And just this humor is the biggest weapon. This is what NAFO fellows use. They make a lot of funny memes funny but humor is deep sometimes painful and very serious one it's about our war it's about death and life and they managed somehow to bring the uh, world's attention to this problem like russian propaganda narratives and to the necessity to fight it every day every second every single fake we need to fight it and do the fake refutation and I, this is for a powerful community to me and uh, what i love about them that don't have it have had they don't have a director they are free like ukraine and ukrainian people and i guess uh, like uh, uh, one of my friends said who is also an AFO fellow that they will be in the history books they as a, as a phenomenon 
as a community, Naifa Falas will be uh, there forever, like uh, people who made difference and who changed the game uh, at the informational frontline, informational war. So I'm eternal, eternally grateful, and I hope this will continue, and we all will stand till the end, and we all will not get tired of doing this. And I'm eternally grateful, and again, I invite everyone to come here to Ukraine, and I will show every neighbor fellow around and show the beauty of my country. I just can't wait for everyone to come here. I hope everyone takes you up on that offer. Uh, I know that uh, I'll be coming back uh, early next year to do that. And, uh, well, I encourage people to stay safe, of course, and take the right precautions, as you've said. But mm -hmm. go and see Ukraine, because it's an incredible place, uh, packed with incredible people, and it's worth defending. Uh, absolutely. Lisa, thank you so much for everything you do. Um, I very much look forward to sort of meeting in, in real life, hopefully in Kiev next mm -hmm. year. Um, mm -hmm. But thank you so much for everything. And also, of course, for your time and sharing your experiences with the channel. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan, for inviting me once again and uh, for this honor to share my attitude, my opinion about stuff and for your interest in our volunteering uh, movement. Thank you so much. This is important. And I guess this topic is undercovered. And also many Westerners ask why government doesn't cover everything. And we say because it's it's physically impossible. That's why we have such a huge volunteering movement, because it is needed. And both militaries need us and civilians who are dying every day. They need us and we will go carry on as long as, as needed. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person and the and your community. Thank you and Slava Ukrainian. Glory to heroes, Slava Ukrainian. <laughs>